Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast may contain strong language and matter of an aggressively artistic nature. Bringing you insightful interviews from industry insiders across the arts. This is Dark Unicorn in Conversation. Hello and welcome to Dark Unicorn in Conversation. My guest today is an actor, writer, producer and joint head of an Arts Council England funded theatre company which has not long finished a three-part Zoom-based comedy play via the online presence of London's Cockpit Theatre. And he's done all of this just over a year after leaving drama school. His is a story which, though beginning in London, includes an early childhood in the heat of civil war in Africa, returning to Britain as an asylum seeker, and charting a course from that level of instability to one exploding with creativity, even picking up a British Panto Award nomination along the way but there is nothing that I can say in an intro which can even begin to equal what he has to say for himself. His name is Mark Zayat, and I started out by asking him about his company's pioneering work in bringing theatre to the world of Zoom. You've sort of been a bit of a pioneer locally, with your company being an early adopter of streaming to provide lockdown theatrical entertainment. Um in association with the cockpit. How was that experience for you and, and for your team? If I'm honest, it was a little bit bizarre just because we're used to, you know, live theatre and having the audience there and sort of gauging how they, if they're enjoying it or not, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, plus everyone loves the post-pub sort of trip after the theatre. <laughs> um, but it was fun. It was nice. Um, we'd had like a few things that we did, like Twitter and stuff like that, um, where we could see what the audience were thinking. And it was really nice to try and connect to people like we did in a normal theatre. Um, so, yeah, Bog Royal Bandits was an original comedy, um, which you know, obviously, because you watched it. Um, <laughs> and um, it was yeah it was fantastic to do and i'm I'm really glad we did it it was it was a so, new experience for those that, that didn't see it um do you want to talk a bit about about what what was involved yeah um so it was a um i'll explain how it went down um so i had this idea of of doing a zoom play um 
because I started watching plays that were originally already written um, for the stage be put on Zoom and there was a slight clash. Um, it wasn't that it was uh, problematic. It was more that um, you can tell it's for the stage. And I don't know if it's because I've seen it on stage or not. So I had an idea of making a show, writing one and putting it on with a theatre um, specifically for Zoom. Um, and my idea was I wanted a comedy, something that people can laugh about. Because what I believe is, if you can laugh about something, the sooner you do, the, the sooner you can sort of start to um, move on. Um, so our heist comedy is about, um, it's a toilet roll heist. Uh, six neighbours band together to sort of steal as many toilet rolls as possible um, from their local Costco or supermarket. Um, and they are, uh, I would say they're six very different people. Um, and they are coming together on Zoom to try and organise this heist that none of them have ever done before. Even if they say they're experienced, none of them have actually done it. Um, and we wanted to uh, really pull on British stereotypes of people um, and what the current climate was on Twitter and Instagram and sort of the mean um, generation, how they were finding it, but also the older generation. Um, so we wrote this piece um, and it was actually based, you know, only a month earlier where, you know, we had this toilet paper um, hoarding situation, which I don't know if still happening, but um, I'm sure I think it's calmed down now. <laughs> um, and we called it the Bogwell Bandits because it rhymed um, and we wanted something to say that it's a comedy. It's not just, you know, a digital heist. Um, and then we cast it, we put it on, uh, we joined up with the cockpit to do our sort of final R&D stage. Um, and we rehearsed it like a normal play. So we came on and we rehearsed it on Zoom with the director. Um, and then we would take uh, recordings, takes, we used um, a few different technologies to like get it done um, and to record it and, and get it cut and everything fine. Um, and yeah, originally the plan was to have it live. Um, and what we figured out was if we were going to have it live on the cockpit's website and stream it all um, to everyone every night and having all those people watch, all of our internets had to be like just incredibly large to like hold it all together. Um, so we attempted it. Um, in the sort of the first episode kind of thing and we were like we need to we need to record and we need to edit um so it's not really live theater which is something that i i, I love um which i'm sort of irritated that we couldn't pull off but um it's definitely is theater in the way that it's very out and bold um and really pulls the audience in yeah we will have more to say about about that and the future of that in uh, later on but um looking at, at, at you as an individual i mean your your life in and of itself has been quite dramatic you were am i right in saying born into a civil war yeah uh, well actually i was born here oh right. in, yeah i was born here in king's college hospital um why did I need to tell you that? Um, <laughs> I was born here um, 
and um, actually, you're right, we moved um, back to Sierra Leone, where I'm from, um, because my dad wanted to um, start his business there with his, with his dad. Um, um, so uh, half of us were British citizens, half of us weren't. Um, and then we moved and lived in Sierra Leone uh, until I was five. Um, but for that time, we um, then came across obviously a civil war, Sierra Leonean civil war um, in 2001. Um, and that was a very traumatic thing to happen to our family. Um, we then had to obviously, you know, seek asylum in Britain um, because some of us um, didn't have uh, British citizenship. Um, and yeah, we had to lose everything we had. Like, when I mean everything, I mean like all of our business, um, our livelihoods, you know, some of our pictures, our, our baby pictures and family heirlooms, um, a lot of it had to be left behind as we evacuated um, this country that was actually horrific. Um, my sort of memories that I have as a five-year-old child is sort of me hiding underneath um, a bed like all day mm. and sort of only having to eat you know rice krispies and i remember this like memory of like me crying because i just don't want i wanted more rice krispies but we didn't have any left i remember crying and screaming at my mum um and it's this one memory that keeps going over like why did i do that like i didn't need to put so much stress on my mum uh, just because i wanted milk with my rice krispies um but i didn't understand what was going on obviously um, and I remember sort of, you know, the rebel soldiers coming into our house and always asking for, you know, something, otherwise they were going to take one of us away. And it's just very, um, it was a very difficult time. Ooh. And we were lucky to escape um, and be able to start our life again in Britain. Although it wasn't easy. How, how did you come through that? I mean, was it, were you able to, did you have... Um... Did you have anyone else in Britain that you could that you could go to as you're claiming asylum, or were you were you held, or were you homeless, or were you? So uh, we, so we had quite a lot of family here, but because we're a family of six, it is extremely difficult to you know house us. Yeah. Um, so when we first got here, and it took a while to get here, and um, we had to go through. Um, I think they took us into Nigeria to then get a flight out. Um, so we had to go through Ghana to Nigeria and then the British Embassy sent us, flew us over. But then the flight we got was sent to um, to France and then we were detained in France for a bit. Um, and then my dad had to go another way and then we went another way. Um, and then once we got into London, um, they were like, we can't help you further, I'm sorry. Um, so we had to go and find our own way, you know, where we're going to live. Um, we were homeless. We had no money. So, you know, that was it. We were homeless. Um, and then we luckily had a lot of family here. Um, so we started couch surfing. Um, but eventually, you know, they kicked us out because we're a family of six and, you know, they're having their own life um, and their own family. And you've got to take, you know, it's difficult to like house that many people. Um, so we moved uh, 
house to house to house until my dad finally got a job um, and was able to sort of, you know, pay rent. <laughs> um, and then all simple things like, you know, we already had bank accounts, but like having to reopen them and stuff like that, it just took a long time to like work everything out. Um, and then we eventually started renting somewhere. Um, and my dad's first job was at the cockpit theatre. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and um, he still works there. Um, he's a weekend manager. Um, and he signed me up for um, sort of Saturday school. So I'd go to work with him. And it was um, for Dream Arts Theatre Company. I'm not sure if they're still alive. Um, but um, I'm not sure if they're still going. But yeah, that was my Saturday school. Um, and he put me in it to sort of start doing stuff and meeting well, people. I was going to ask, well, how did performance and theatre come into your life? And it's uh, <laughs> very close to home. Yeah, it just happened. It just happened. It just all came into the mix somehow. Like, he found a job there. Um, he's not really a theatre man. Of, of course he is now. Um, he wasn't back then. Um, and then when they signed me up to sort of, you know, start to make friends, I started to fall in love with theatre. Um, at the same time he was falling in love with theatre and then that's how um, I'm here right now um, doing what I do. Yeah. Bonding experience. Uh, uh, so at, at what point in all this did you, was, was it through that school you realised that actually you are a performer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I've always been a performer. I think I've always been a performer. Like I remember, so my mum always tells me that when I was a kid, I used to go and steal people's clothes and pretend I was them. Um, and one of the memories I have of that actually is my nan. Um, she obviously had a walking stick and I'd always steal one of her like uh, big gowns and I'd wear it and hold the walking stick and pretend it was her. Um, and everyone was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Um, and I just kept playing characters um, so that's where that came from I think and you met your current creative partner was that at university yes where did, where did you study and what did you study theatre yeah so I studied um, I went to the Brit school oh. um, and that was great um, that's where I went to sixth form and then I kind of started falling in love with the writing um, and creating work and stuff like that. So I thought the best thing to do was sort of go to university rather than drama school. So I actually didn't apply for drama school until later. Um, and then I went to Royal Holloway University um, of London in Surrey. And that's where I met Dana Hudson, who's my partner right now for Ethereal Theatre. Um, and I did English and drama and sort of started learning about literature and plays and how to write. Um, and the drama degree, I wouldn't say, if I'm honest with you, I didn't learn anything in drama. Um, <laughs> I did not, um, I don't know what the purpose is of a drama degree in that way, but I guess a lot of people have different ways and different routes they want to go to, like being drama teachers, drama facilitators, stuff like that. Um, but I wasn't interested in any of that kind of stuff, um, but I did it. <laughs> um, and it was a great bubble in that school, yeah. Did you then, because you, you did take the postgrad route, 
to drama school. Was that immediately after, or did you have a, a gap in between? Or? No, I, I went immediately after. I, I fell in love with acting again at Royal Holloway just because of the bubble of theatre there. Mm. And not through the course, because there was no acting during the course. It was all um, academic. Um, and it was through the societies and stuff like that. So I learned how to create my own drama company there. I learned how to um, cast, direct, um, and I acted in quite a few shows there as well. And then I fell in love with acting again. Like, this is, this is 100% what I want to do. <laughs> um, so I auditioned for drama schools and then decided to go um, to Artsed for a year, which is quite nice. And how was, how was that for you? That was, I think, one of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, the course was just everything I wanted. Um, Steve Hudson um, is the was the course leader. Is the course leader for my cohort, and he is a fantastic. I can't say this enough. Absolutely fantastic uh, theatre course maker. Like he knows what actors needs and he knows how to um, have this theatrical process through drama school. Um, and he brought in the best of the best and it was a fantastic year. Honestly, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> Do you feel that, that young would be professionals today still need or, or benefit from that sort of conservatoire type training? The thing is, I I thought about that, actually. You know, it goes through everyone's mind. Um, and I sort of had the idea of, before I went to drama school, that, you know, maybe you don't need it. Um, and, you know, there's stories of actors who move on and don't go to drama school. And I know have some professional actor friends who didn't go to drama school. Um, but I would say 100%, I would, I would recommend going to drama school, even if it is for a post-grad or for the three years, it is worth it, especially because of the wealth of knowledge and the toolkit you learn. And not just for acting, for surviving, because that is so important. Um, you have to learn way, the way of living if you're going to you know, survive. Um, and it's about having this toolkit of stuff that you have with you um, for the rest of your life that you can always go back to and be like, okay, so I've got this show that I'm auditioning for, um, but they're doing some sort of specific movement um, so let me just check if I, oh yeah, I went through it. So I could just do it again. Or I can email one of my teachers. You know, it's a connection. And I'm connected to all my course, um, my cohort. Um, and, you know, we reach out to each other. We help each other out. Um, you know, Luke and Ross, who was um, the lead in Bog Roll, Bandits. Um, she was, was in my cohort. Mm -hmm. uh, and so was um, Jessica Booth, who was um, Henrietta in bog roll as well and they auditioned for the play and i didn't give them any like special treatment or anything like that loads of my friends auditioned but they were just absolutely fantastic and the connection and the relationships that we have with each other it just really bounces off and it's electric so yeah i think definitely there are so many pros to going to drama school and then following that you you signed for representation with Actorum, which is a very long-standing, yeah. cooperative. Um, how 
do you find because it's it's there'll be people watching this who are either looking to switch representation or maybe are unsigned or haven't worked in that sort of environment before uh-huh. how how do you find that sort of mixture of the agency and the co-op approach to, to finding work i think it's fantastic if like if you're a person who likes to have some sort of you know um control over your narrative your story your your path um then i would recommend going down the cooperative route the thing about actorum is so special is because because we're such a tight-knit group um we have to know each other really well to work um and having a lead agent which is amy Loughton, sort of just navigates that so even if i you know want to and and people get this misconstrued so um, just to say this in case anyone watching doesn't know what a cooperative is, it's a acting agency um, run by actors for actors. Um, and we were, I think it was 1974, we first came into um, fruition. Um, and it was Julie Walters and a group of her acting mates that sort of created it. Um, and she, yeah, and we... Um, we have a lead agent, which is someone we employ, um, Amy Loughton. Um, we pay her to be a lead agent. And we can't put each other up, uh, ourselves up for work. That is not um, a thing that happens in Actorum. Um, we have someone on desk two, which is sort of the person who sucks us for um, TV and theatre, like sort of the big stuff. And then the desk three person, who where I am, because um, I've only been with them for, I think, two years now. Um, where they just do commercials because they come in like hundreds a day. So you just have to keep sucking them in. Um, and then you have Amy who's in charge of the whole thing, the whole operation. Um, she is the, she is the, the agent. We pay her to be an agent. Um, and say I email in and say, guys, I saw this casting and I think I'd be really good for it. Um, they will talk about it. And if Amy doesn't think I should go up for it, then I'm not going up for it. And she will probably explain that to me. She will explain that to me. Um, And it makes a lot of sense because you have to be smart with putting yourself up for work. Uh, You can't put yourself up for everything. You have to tailor yourself. And what I've learned from Actorum is that you need to, you can't just think that you're going to show up and be at the national the next day, or, or you're just going to be in a soap or, or on the Hollywood walk path way, whatever it's called. You can't, um, and sometimes that happens. Yeah, that's great. 1% and fantastic. Um, but realistically, if you want to build a career in acting, you have to take these milestone steps um, and, you know, and take yourself there in the direction you want to take yourself. And that's what we work on in Actorum. We work on everyone's individual way up that sort of stepping stool. Um, but yeah, mm. and of course, you know, those that are watching may well have. I mean, may well include people who you have, however subliminally, got to you know switch their energy provider. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's the impact is widespread in terms of one's life. <laughs> oh, you switch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
Of course, not content with simply performing, you're also the co-director of your own production company, which we've mentioned earlier, um, Ethereal Theatre, and that's four years now has that been running? Or coming up for four yeah, years? Yeah, I think it's it's coming up to five years. Five years, yeah. Yeah. So how has your experience been acting as a producer as well as a performer? Was producing something that you'd had in mind before? Um, it was definitely part of the... Um, part of the sort of final picture sort of image because I love theatre and I love uh, making theatre so you know whatever I was doing I would I would I would naturally be happy I think after my course at Arts Ed I sort of started you know, thinking no I definitely want to be an actor I definitely don't want to be a director or sort of producer but I still want to make my own work and I think that's important about it um so ethereal sort of moving in a different direction um since then uh we're moving in a more kind of direction where we're still producing work but we're producing original work um work that comes from us comes from our soul comes from our friends um and work that matters not like we weren't making work that mattered before um but we were sort of taking pre-existing work and sort of putting a new twist on them and putting a new um, narrative on them kind of thing um so they sort of see the show in a different lens and they're like oh actually I'd never thought about it that way um which I thought was fun to do and it is fun and we will carry on doing that hopefully in the future but right now it's all about creating work that matters um and in the productions themselves I will um I will hopefully either write or or be in them so yeah uh, and what is your policy with regard to selecting shows now? Um, what is it that excites you when you see it presented to you, either as an idea or as a script? Or... Something that excites me is something that's never been that I've never seen before, and um, I'm sort of like a harsh critic without being one. Um, so, like, I'm kind of I'm like super kind on like a casting table um like some of my friends call me the Paula Abdul because I'm just I just feel for everyone who comes into the room like I understand that feeling um of the casting panel but um something that really excites me a piece that really excites me so we we're still developing bog roll you know um I co-wrote that so I'm really passionate about um having this original heist um comedy um, so we're working on that, but we're also working on um, a play called Caffeine at the moment. Um, I'm sort of dipping in as a writer, um, but the main person um, and like, you know, advice giver. Um, but the main person who's writing is one of my best friends called Daniel Jones. Um, and he sort of runs the social media and sort of outreach for Ethereal. Um, we met him at Royal Holloway as well. He's, he's my best friend. He's Dana's best friend. Um, and he is a person who has Tourette's um, and we have been talking about this for years about the fact that there is no play or we haven't seen any play about you know Tourette's and what and we want to put that on we want to we want to tell Dan's story basically um, and we want to so that's what we're going to be working on now um, as well as Bog Row is this this play called Caffeine um, and it's predominantly about Dan's experience personal to rest mm. and it's for everyone 
it's it's there's so many misconceptions about um ts and um and how it can affect a person with it and the people around them um and it's such an important story and that's what i'm looking for when when we put on work um that's what i would risk everything for is kind of because that's what you you do when you put on your own work you're risking something um, you're risking your time you know you're risking sometimes a lot of money your money um <laughs> and um and you're risking it you're risking your reputation i guess um so yeah so that's what we're going to do and even if i get one person who sees that show and says wow i didn't know that and i feel really informed and i feel ready um to you know go out and help talk to people about Tourette syndrome um and how it can affect someone um and how i was wrong with my misconceptions then that is that is enough so that's what i would do i would i would think if one person was to say that then that's enough then definitely we should put on this this production your um in addition to that, you are seeking at the moment to raise finance to rework Bogwell Bandits, which we talked mm-hmm. about. Um, would, you, would you like to, to just tell our audience what it is that you're hoping to achieve and how they might be able to help? So what we're looking to achieve at the moment is we are trying to raise £10,000 um, which is a lot of money, um, not just for bog roll. Um, the majority of it will be going to bog roll to develop it. Um, what we want to do is we want to um, pay our entire cast and crew equity minimum pay. So the majority of the money is going to wages for actors, directors, you know, company members, uh, because that is an, a priority. It is a priority, especially during now and forever. It's a priority for us. Um, is good pay um and then after that the rest of the money is going to technology um what we challenged what we were challenged with like i said was um the bandwidth the wi-fi the camera quality um so we're gonna rent out a lot of equipment as well that we can send to our actors so they don't have to worry about um if their wi-fi is a bit naff like it doesn't matter it's not their priority it shouldn't be their priority should never be their priority and they should focus on their character and um, do the job that we've asked them to do rather than fixing some wi-fi and fixing a light bulb and uh, i don't mind doing that none of them minded doing that um and we all love each other but i'm trying to be like i want you to to really focus on on what you're doing and have everyone else focus on that what they're doing and sort of come together as a team like that um and in order to do that we need money we've never been given a handout at ethereal um no one's ever sort of been like and what i mean by that is we've never sort of been like oh here's five thousand pounds go make what you want we've had to raise it from scratch we've had to borrow we had to lend um we've had to pay back we've had to like you know scrape pennies together to do what we do and do it to a good standard um and we don't have any reserves in our bank account. So anything that people can give us right now, um, for the first time we're asking, um, because not only with this £10,000 remake Bog Roll, but also start the development of um, caffeine 
it will also help us to sort of push us up a little bit um, because then reserves start rolling in and um, things begin to move and work. It's like, um, if you think of like a hamster on a wheel, um, we need the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. hamster rich and wheel poor that's that's i, I like that as a <laughs> um and um how can people support you um so if you if you are looking to support us which is wonderful um if you are not wanting or looking or can't um support us monetarily wise like money wise um then just follow us on instagram or twitter or facebook um and you know keep seeing what we're doing and uh, checking in on us um at ethereal theater um if you can support us in any way um then if you go to uh the website uh www.etherealtheater.com there's the little toggle um so if you click on that button it should direct you to where you can go to support us um and help us buy our wheel so we can begin to begin to run <laughs> on this wheel <laughs> there will of course be links to all of that down in the description and um of course we at dark unicorn are very happy to to um uh associate ourselves with any other company that is working on the sort of ethical basis that you are that has always been our foundation basis um and um uh, there are ways in which you can support both companies uh, down in the description and on both our websites um it's obviously been an extraordinarily strange year for all sorts of reasons. Uh, uh, what would you like to see emerge from 2020 in terms of the arts? Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, because I feel like the arts is in danger at the moment. I mean, I feel like the arts is always in danger um, due to funding. Um, but what I want to see is the big notch, the big guys uh, internally in the arts realise, you know, this is the struggle that a lot of little companies have been going through forever, like not just during a pandemic um, and say, you know, we need to unite up here with down here because up here wouldn't be where it is without down here. So let us help each other. So I want to see some um, some... So some people coming together and creating work for the first time, you know, giving people their first shots. Um, and then I want to see, you know, our government sort of reach out and say, you know what, this, um, this sort of gives us up, what, £100 billion towards our economy um, every year, um, theatre and TV and film and the arts does to our country. Um, let's give them a helping hand because I believe they haven't done that yet. For theatre, like making work, I want to see us, I think what everyone needs right now is um, a way of connecting, um, a way of saying, you know, we've gone through this, we've had to isolate away from people, we've had to stay away, and we've sort of been connecting through digital theatre and sort of like using your phone and um, texting people and Zooming them, but how could we connect to people um, through theatre which has always been the case but now more than ever we need to be united and I think people need to laugh like I think 2020 we need we need a lot of laughter 
Um, and that's what I want to do. And I think that's what we should be working towards. Laughter. <laughs> I mean, and speaking of laughter, it must, of course, be noted that you, not simply performer, but you are an award nominee. You're a British Panther Award nominee for your groundbreaking performance as turn-of-loving non-binary cow Moo Moo at the Watford Palace. Uh, how, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be wondering, how does one prepare for a role such as that? Um, <laughs> so um, that was that was my first ever professional show. Um, and I have no idea how I prepared for that show. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, I went through like, what, four rounds of auditions just to get the role. And I was like, why? It's just a cow. You know, it's a sassy cow. It's a panto. Um, but then I realised, you know, I got the script and I was like, oh, this is, this is not just a cow. This is a cow that has, you know, a lot of lines and a lot of stuff to do. Um, and it was like sort of the comic relief of the show. And, you know, panto, I fell in love with during um, Jack and the Beanstalk at Watford Palace. Um, one, because Watford Palace is amazing. Two, because they look after everyone in the company and they're amazing again. And um, three, they really put it into it. There's so much that gets put into it and they love it. Um, and um, I fell in love with Panto because I never went to pantomimes um, when I was a kid. I, you know, like I said, I was, we were homeless for a long time. And um, yeah, I don't know why, but I just never went to a single pantomime um, as a child. Um, and my schools never took me. Um, so I fell in love with it as an adult being in one and it is so special um, and preparing for Mumu um, <laughs> Mumu came from um, I had like a playlist and it's called uh, Sassy Cow um, <laughs> and I would pop, in, pop my headphones in and I had my little um, not my script but my little like, book with me and in the changing rooms, I sort of like have a look and Moomoo um, had sort of like written um, like a little journal and with like 50 questions about himself or themselves. Um, and they uh, had answered all these questions. So I, I sort of get into that mentality um, by reading what Moomoo um, had written. And then I'd get into Moomoo and sort of write another question. So it was kind of like a dating blog thing. Um, <laughs> and um, as soon as the play starts, when I get pulled onto stage with the giant, like the glitter rope, I get pulled on my jack and I get thrown on. And as soon as I see that audience and just the electricity of them seeing who I am, um, he, Mumu becomes Mumu, um, and he's she's going off singing um, "Milkshake brings all the boys to the yard" and all that stuff in front of all these people, and just living their wonderful turnip life. Um, <laughs> it was fantastic, man. I miss it so much. As I mean, I have various friends that do panto every year, and, and one in particular who's always he plays a dame every year. And he, uh, talks about the fact that the character sort of descends upon you rather than you necessarily <laughs> yeah. it and suddenly suddenly um it just he, comes it yeah comes. <laughs> well no panto's amazing i, I love panto 
it's honestly, I recommend it for every actor in person to just be involved in. It's, it's just for stamina as much as anything else, really. I mean, those I, I don't know how I did it. I don't know. I, we had 12 shows a week. Um, and my role was really physical. Like, I, I was in all of the dances, especially, like, the milkshake medley, which, obviously, I'm the cow. Um, <laughs> was definitely... It's, it's really intense, but um, I think the... You have to build your stamina, of course, for any show. Um, but also for Panto, the um, the atmosphere is what keeps you going. You're like it's electric. You're obsessed with it, and the audience are just perfect. It truly is perfect. It's, it's a fantastic. It's a fantastic form of theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the people who have been spirited away, sadly, by 2020 was James Lipton, who who founded Inside the Actors Studio. Um, as both a broadcast and as a course. And uh, what we've been doing with each of our guests is taking the 10 quick questions that he asked at the end of each interview and putting them to our guests. Um, the, um, he stole them from somebody else beforehand, so we have no problem with stealing them from him. And um, so we might as well just crack on. What is your favourite word? Um. Bewildered. And your least favourite word? Small. Small. Um, uh, a, a question which can be answered however you like. What turns you on? Good theatre. And off? Sorry? And off? Bad theatre. <laughs> what? What sound or noise do you love? And what sound or noise do you hate? What? <laughs> Mother Goose. <laughs> what? What is your favourite swear word? Um, can I say it? Yes, you can. Cunt. That's a great... I'm sorry, I love it. <laughs> What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, I would love to attempt being a spaceman. And what profession would you absolutely not ever want to do? Theatre. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I would not want to be a surgeon because I've got shaky, shaky hands. I can't do that. Um, when your time comes if you uh, wake up from it and discover that heaven does indeed exist, what would you like to hear said to you when you arrive? I would like them to say, girl, everything's going to be okay. Um, And then someone with a gorgeous drag queen comes along and then sassies and then tells me to like follow them into this wonderful glitter place. That would be nice. Mark, thank you very much indeed. (laughs) Thank you. The Arcade Recording Conversation is speaking to Mark Zayat. The episode was written, presented and edited by Paddy Cooper. Title music by Curtis Batson. Special thanks to the estate of James Lipton, Ethereal Theatre, the Arts Educational Schools and the Watford Palace Theatre. The series is executive produced by Eleanor Sturton. COVID-19 presents one of the greatest threats to theatre in living memory.
The performing arts need you now more than ever. Please, consider supporting our work by becoming a patron, with packages starting at just £50 per year to be a rainbow unicorn. Just visit darkunicorn.org. Science helps us solve problems, but creativity helps us cope with them. Please don't let the performing arts be another casualty of the pandemic. Thank you. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.